Welcome to Season 5 of Level Up, a podcast where we explore how students, faculty, and staff at the University of Florida create presence and belonging. I'm your host, Antonio Farias, Chief Diversity Officer at the University of Florida. Welcome to another episode of Level Up on Presence and Belonging. And today we are super lucky to have Jennifer Setlow, who joined the College of the Arts as Associate Dean for Academic and Student Affairs back in July of 2017. Uh, She is responsible for overseeing curriculum, advising, and student services for the college and guiding the work uh, with the New World School of the Arts in Miami and assisting with the tenure and promotion process. So Jen comes to us from her previous position at Arizona State University, where she was also the Associate Dean for Students uh, and has an incredible sort of background in lighting design at really storied playhouses like the La Jolla Playhouse, the Old Globe in Berkeley, uh, lots of amazing places. So we, we hope to sort of get maybe a little bit into that and into lighting design or what really fuels her. And uh, again, welcome, Jen, to the podcast. Thank you. So we always start the podcast by asking the question, what is your story of belonging? So this is such an interesting one because I don't really know that I have a story of belonging. I probably have a lot of stories of belonging. You know, I think it's funny, I, um, I joke with my other, my fellow associate dean in the college that we're probably the only two associate deans at the University of Florida who've both been janitors. Um, I've, my career has been, it's been through a lot of elevations or uh, evolutions. And, uh, you know, and I think that at each stage along the way, I've had a different story of belonging. Um, I come from a family of a lot of scientists, a lot of scientists, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister-in-law, three out of my four grandparents. We have a lot of scientists. That's Uh, significant. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're the the rebel then. Uh, yes. No, we throw one every generation. I have an aunt who's a really fantastic professional violinist, uh, in Connecticut and everybody in my family has been, has always been really involved in the arts, whether through music or theater or writing or, you know, visual art but there haven't been very many of us who've sought a career in the arts and everybody was always terrifically supportive, but it's, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, when you're a duck and you're, and you're trying to raise a chicken, you're like, what, what do you mean? You don't go in the water. I don't, I don't understand. Um, And, you know, and so I think along the way for me, each step has been about figuring out how do I fit into these different communities that I've become a part of, but, but also what because of my unique set of you know skills and my, my unique background and my unique set of circumstances, what do I bring that actually benefits that community in a really particular way? Um, you know, when you ask that question, I think about my grandmother, Jane, who was a real, um, she was, she was a, a pretty world-changing lady. Um, she graduated from college at 20, had four kids, and then decided to go back and get her PhD in biophysics from Yale when she had four children under the age of 10. Wow. Which she successfully did. And then went on to have a very, very long and very successful career in science. Um, And she would always tell a story that's become something of a family joke at this point, um, that she had just become the president of the, um, the biophysical society, which was a really big deal. And there were like no other women officers at this point. And it was her very first time running a meeting. 
And she was terrified. She was completely, she was like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to, how am I going to run this thing? No one's going to listen to me. You know, so the meeting got started and the refreshments did not show up. And they finally showed up late and there were almost none of them. And everybody else in the room immediately began to fight over the snacks. And she, (laughs) wait a minute, wait a minute, I've got this. I raised four holy terror children. And so she stood up, she slammed her hands down on the table and she said, sit down, shut up, and I will divide the buns. (laughs) Did, right? This room full of distinguished scientists all sat down and shut up and waited for her to divide the snacks. And she carried on with the meetings and had no further problems. The snacks. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's, I mean, it's a very funny story, of course, and it, you know, and it illustrates perfectly my grandmother's personality, but it also speaks to, you know, what did she bring to the room because she was a parent, because she had done something that was very much outside of the norm. What was that sort of special piece that she brought? And so for me, it's been figuring out, you know, I started my career as a lighting designer, fresh out of college, and this is what I did. You know, so what did I bring to that particular table and how did I fit in, not in spite of being someone who didn't come from an arts background, but because I was someone who didn't come from an arts background? You know, what was that fresh perspective? And I think that that really brought me to work with a lot of the directors that I brought, that I ended up working with and being very successful with, because they really valued someone who, who looked at the work with outside eyes. Um, you know, similarly going into academia and especially in academic administration, you know, people are like, oh, you have a, a background in lighting design. You know, that's so interesting. I'm like, well, it, it makes perfect sense. That's what a lighting designer does. We sit in the back in the dark with a headset on and we make sure that people know what part of the story is important. And we make sure that the production actually functions and so, so that's really sort of how I fit into each of these adaptations of my career has been through bringing with me whatever it is that makes me unique in that position. Yeah, thank you. That, that's incredibly powerful, uh, especially the story about your grandmother uh, and, and your own, right? The sense that we are more than whatever the resume says we are, right? And that we're not so specialized that we forget that we're an accumulation of experiences, right? And understandings about how to deal with the complexity of human beings, which are incredibly irrational, right? Especially in higher education. Right, right, exactly. You know, I I think that I am a better academic administrator because of the things that I've done in my life. You know, I've had a lot of really unique jobs. I've made, you know, costumes for Sesame Street Live and costumes for The Lion King. And as I said, you know, I've been a janitor. I've worked in all kinds of crazy places dealing with all kinds of really complicated and often very difficult personalities. You know, people talk about, oh, isn't it, isn't it difficult to, you know, do all these things with faculty? And we say, well, first of all, our faculty are incredible. Um, and I'm lucky to be able to work with them. But second of all, you know, trust me, they have nothing on directors or or performers, you know, who are expecting to be treated in a very, very particular way, sometimes completely irrationally, you know, the things our faculty want and need are rational and sensible. Right. Right. So speaking about rational and sensible, so are you aware, and now that I understand that you did costume design for Sesame Street, are you aware that- costume design, costume technology, it's very different. Oh, it is? I just made them. Yep. You made the costumes? For Sesame Street Live. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. So do you know that Provost Glover has a Muppet in his, in his, uh, in his. I do. Mm -hmm, I do. Would I, you I be interested in changing his wardrobe because he seems to have the same wardrobe on all the time? Uh, interestingly, I could actually do that. Uh, when I worked for the company that makes those costumes, I worked at what was called the fur salon and we made the, the clothing uh, and uh, the hands and the fur bodies. Wow. And yeah, so, you know, when the Lion King opened on Broadway, I had had my hands inside of every single pair of hyena legs that were in that production. Um, random things you do when you work in the arts. I love it. I love it. So speaking of which, right, in terms of what you do, what excites you about what you do? I mean, you're an academic administrator, right, which doesn't sound incredibly exciting, right, just on the, on the, on the, on the offhand, but you do so much more and people don't understand what that means. What does it mean to be you and the kind of work that you're doing, which is incredibly dynamic, right? You, it's not just the associate dean level work you're doing, but you're also a campus diversity liaison and you're also doing a lot more work. So tell us about what it really excites you about the work that you do here at UF. So I think, you know, the reason I got into academic administration, um, which was initially in Arizona, was because I, I looked and I saw that there were a lot of ways that students could be more successful and I could help with that. Um, you know, and that, that again, and I can connect this right back to my whole career in lighting design. I never wanted to be the director. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be the playwright. I wanted to be the person that helped make sure that everything that was happening on stage was as successful as possible. You know, that, that enabled the storytelling. And that honestly is still what I do now and what excites me about what I do now. You know, I get to, I get to help our faculty through the tenure and promotion process and help with things that probably sound really unexciting to other people, but like making sure that people are overhauling their criteria for tenure and promotion which, you know, and again, a lot of people who will be listening to this right now are like, wow, she's really boring. That sounds terrible. But if you think about it, the, those criteria are what allows people to be successful in a system that was frankly designed for a lot of people, particularly non-white or non-male people to not be successful. Right. So it can help make a dent in how people can move through that system and change it and open up the doors that's, that's huge for me. And that's what's really fun. And similarly, you know, how can I help work with our faculty and support their efforts to change curriculum in a way that will educate students to be the next generation of not of like, you know, just people who go out and make pretty things. You know, a lot of people think about the arts and they're like, oh, that's nice. You make plays, you make music, you make pretty, pretty decorative things. Artists are the people who make sure that stories get told, yes. right? They, you know, we have so much ability to change the world and artists are people that convince everyone that it's a good idea or that they might wanna go along with it. Um, and so if I can help make sure that every student who wants to come to UF and have the opportunity to tell their story in whatever way, in whatever art form they choose or through their scholarship, that again is fantastically important because I think especially the arts for a really long time have done a really good job of not being accessible to a lot of people, um, whether because they don't have the money for it or they don't live in a community where they have access to early education in the arts and so they can't get through the door or whatever that reason is, 
we might lose all of those stories. And all of those stories are incredibly important to how we evolve as a nation and as a world and as a society. So that's exciting to me, is really enabling other people's success. Well, it, 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 your, your lighting design sort of uh, background certainly shows up here, right? Because that is what you're doing. You're, you're lighting the way for what is, in, by all accounts, an invisible playbook, and in many ways, similar to science, right? It's like, how do you get through this process? How do you get through a process where you don't have somebody to guide you because they're not in your family or not your friends or not in your socioeconomic class? And what you're doing is you're lighting the pathway so that they can excel. So on, on all sides, which is incredible, right? It's not just, it, it would be one job just to do it for the faculty, but you're doing it for the entire ecosystem at the College of the Arts. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's not like I don't have an awful lot of people helping. So yeah. I'm, I'm really just the, the funnel through which a lot of it flows. And I, you know, reach to both sides and say, hey, have we thought about this? And have you considered doing that? So it's, um, you know, it's, it's really, really fantastic to have so many incredible people to work with. Um, and again, such brilliant faculty and students and staff to support all of this work and to be the, the brains behind it. Right, that will eventually challenge us, right? This is the core issue of the arts and the sciences is to challenge us and provoke us to think in a little bit differently than what we're doing on a status quo level. So so thank you for the work you're doing there. I know, particularly as a, as a campus diversity liaison, you're doing some incredible work there in terms of really challenging what the status quo is and, and how we can really live up to our highest ideals when it comes to these questions of inclusion. Well, it's one of the most important things I think we can be doing right now, you know, I mean, especially as a, you know, a person from the, the kind of background that I come from, you know, I'm a white woman from an upper middle class, very well educated family. It, it seems like it's my responsibility to open that door and give that same privilege to as many people as I possibly can. Yes. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it, 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 which it, it always is when you realize that it's not a zero sum, right? That that opportunity is not is not there's only it, it, it's not a limited factor, right? This is about giving more, you get more, and that's I think what what sometimes hinders this process is this assumption that it's a zero sum in terms of talent or in terms of opportunity. Right. It's not. It's not either or. It's yes and. Yes and. I love it. So what? What is one actionable thing that people can do to create a sense of belonging here at UF? You know, I honestly think that so much of it is the little things. You know, if someone says that they need something, answer them. You know, if a student has a question, write back, direct them to resources, you know, and, um, and offer yourself as a resource. You know, I, I do joke about being the funnel through which, you know, half of the things that happen in the College of the Arts flow. But that, I think, is probably one of the most important things that I do. You know, I, I spoke with, um, I work with all of our new faculty, along with our other associate dean, doing an onboarding series. And uh, at our end of semester check-in, one of them shared that um, he had been talking with colleagues who, have, who had new positions at other universities and that although several of them had more financial resources at their disposal, none of them were getting the kind of help and support and you know, the human support that our new faculty were getting. And he said, you'd far rather have what we had 
and what they had because he felt like he had a better opportunity to be successful because he always knew there was someone to go to if he had a question or a concern or an idea or even just a big project that he wanted to figure out, you know, who do I work with out in the world to get funding for this, that he felt fully supported because we answer, you know, and I think that that we're also overwhelmed with email. It can be hard to just answer, but sometimes even that little thing that you can do, which is to write back and say, hey, I don't know an answer to your question right now, but I want to make sure you know I'm working on it so that it just doesn't go into the void. That's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. listen and respond. Yeah, we make it a little bit more difficult than it needs to be, right? It is, as you say, the simple things that we we forget really honestly that, you know, I, I am also like you surprised that when I respond to people, they, they're like effusive in their thanks. I'm like, why are you so thankful? And it must be because they're not getting that consistently across the entire ecosphere. Right. Yeah. And, and again, I'm, you know, I'm deeply aware of how buried in email almost everybody at the University of Florida is. But that, even just that one line response that says, I don't know, but I'm looking into it. I will get right. back as soon as I can. That makes a big difference. It is, especially if we're trying to be in community, right? Which is about the people around us. So right. thank you. So we, we end the podcast with a question, which is what brings you joy? Coffee. <laughs> coffee. Not not, not going to lie. Uh, coffee brings me a lot of joy. Um, so is there is there a is there a type of coffee? Do you have like a artisanal method of pouring it, or? Uh, so we what, we. What's the uh, ritual? Well, it depends on the day. Um, days when I'm as I do work from home a few days a week. Uh, days when I'm home or have a little bit more time, we do a a, a mocha pot latte, um, which is like the it's. Are you familiar with the mocha pot? No, uh, is that the, the Italian stove yeah. top? Yes, yeah. yes. I'll... Those things are, they're brilliant. It's the closest thing you can get to espresso without having an espresso maker, which I don't yes. have an espresso maker. We have a mocha pot and it's great. Um, you know, so I'll have a mocha pot latte on those days. And uh, the rest of the time I usually do uh, a pour over. Okay. But yeah, you know, we, we've got, we get our coffee beans from a great, there's some, actually some fantastic local roasters in Gainesville and we found one that we really like, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I love food. Um, like I really love food. I also love coffee, but you know, the food thing kind of goes outwards into a love of gardening and other things, but, um, but yeah, I just, I am fascinated by finding out how, how good food is made uh, ideally figuring out how to make it in my house. Like bread, maybe? I do. I really love to bake. Um, one of my goals for this winter that I'm hoping to accomplish is to make croissants from scratch for the first time. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been digging into learning how to stir fry really well and, um, you know, and a few other things. And it's been, you know, it's been a lot of fun moving from a really big city like Phoenix, which had actually a really phenomenal food scene. You know, there's some great food to be had in Gainesville, but it's it's a little bit smaller place and it's a little bit more limited. So I've just learned how to make things myself instead. Yeah, no, I, and I appreciate it. I know you, you put me on to some, um, some grains because I, I, started, I started flubbing around and making my own bread. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Although this, my, my daughter just came home for the holidays and I think I baked about six loaves and I think I ate five of those loaves. So, yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, that's <laughs> baking bread is then eating the bread. 
you have to eat it. That's the whole point. It's like, and but I, I was baking it just to see the wowness of, of getting my hands wet in the dough and then seeing the crust and everything else. And then I realized exactly, as you said, who's going to eat all of this bread? And of course, I had to step up and, and uh, do my part. Well, if you uh, if you need some marmalade for your bread, let me know because I went on kind of a marmalade making kick. I got a lot of citrus from people over the the winter break, and I uh, have quite a lot of marmalade in my house right now. Really? Okay, I'm gonna have to hit you up on that. So yeah, maybe we can do some trades. That would be nice. Yeah, I've been I've been baking mostly sandwich loaves lately because my daughter's on a sandwich kick. So. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, thank you, Jennifer Sedlow. Uh, Associate Dean in the College of the Arts. Uh, it's incredible to, to talk to you on the podcast and to learn a little bit more about you, uh, about your background uh, and the work, the excellent work you're doing here. I know you call yourself a funnel, but I think more that you're a beacon in, in this in this environment and the work that we're doing towards creating a more inclusive and, and, uh, and community of belonging here at UF. So thank you. Thanks, Antonio. Thanks for joining me, Antonio Farias, for another episode of Level Up on Presence and Belonging. If you enjoyed this episode, please like the track and share on social media. We welcome your comments and suggestions for future programs. You can find more episodes of Level Up and content information for the Office of the Chief Diversity Officer at cdo.ufl.edu.